So we're Assemblies of God Church. I did not know the Assemblies of God existed until I came to this church. I'd never been into Assemblies of God Church before, never heard of it. Uh, this was just a church close to us, and so we checked it out eight plus years ago, and we've stuck ever since, been here ever since. And so I've been very thankful, though, jumping into our AG district. It's been an incredible experience. It's really, really just been wonderful. I'm so thankful to the leadership of the Illinois AG district and the church fellowship that we have. I just want to give you a little bit of information on Assemblies of God today. In the AG, there is staff that govern kind of our fellowship. And the highest position that you can have is called superintendent. The, na the name of the man that fills that position right now is Reverend Phil Schneider. He was elected over 10 years ago. He served in this position for over 10 years. Before that, he served another high-capacity leadership called Executive Presbyter, which is basically a leader over a section of Illinois. And on top of that, he's a board member for Teen Challenge. He's a board member at the North Central University, Trinity Bible College. He's a board member of the Church Extension Plan. And before all of that, he was an Illinois AG pastor of an Illinois AG church for over 20 years. Well established in our church, a man of great wisdom and who I respect um, so much. He's not just a person proven in ministry, but proven in leadership. I'm thankful for him. Every time he preaches or speaks at an uh, a AG event, I always pull out my notepad and make sure to write it all down. And he ends every prayer meeting or meeting that we have as Illinois ministers together as with this prayer. God, give us Illinois every single time. Enough that it's on cups and on sweaters and stuff like that now. Like he's really grabbed that phrase and run with it. Okay, why am I bringing up Pastor Phil? He is um, voracious on social media, like way more than me. He posts all the time on Facebook and Instagram. And he's always posting about events coming up or celebrating churches that have been planted or celebrating just a, a good devotional thought. But something specifically he posted a couple of months ago, I want to read to you. On September 1st, Pastor Phil had an experience that was so strong, so vibrant, so impactful, so emotional that he took to Facebook to respond to it. His response uh, to this experience produced hundreds of likes and over 60 comments in response to it. So I want to read this to you verbatim. I don't want to mess it up. And he said this on September 1st on Facebook. He said, quote, I really try to be careful about posting negative things on social media. But <laughs> McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich is the worst sandwich in America, end quote. And it is for this and many other reasons that I love being a part of an Assemblies of God church, is to have leadership like that that can go on and share, have such a strong experience that he had to respond to it. Recently, we traveled, and the only thing that was under a $50 meal in the airport was McDonald's. And I can confirm that McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich is the worst sandwich in America. It's terrible. It is so bad. Some experiences demand a response. Would you stand with me as we read scripture today in Luke chapter 17? As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. 
As he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Lord God, we just give you the service today. Thank you, God. It's all in honor and glory to you. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for the work you're doing in us and through us, Father. Thank you, God, for providing and supporting this church. Thank you, God, for what you did the last week at the Revive Services, Lord. Lord, would you move and work in us today, Father, in a mighty, mighty way. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Some experiences demand a response. Here we see a scripture, we see ten men completely unable to be healed in their own strength. Leprosy, still there's no solution for it. It's a slow disease that just kills, that you can medicate, but it just eventually ends terminally. And here are men that had no way to heal themselves, no, nothing that they could do on their own to become better except through a move of God. At this time, Jesus was still not confirmed as God to everybody, but some were hoping. Some knew that he was a rabbi, a teacher that moved in miraculous ways, and so they called, Jesus, Master, come heal us. And you see, God calls them, Jesus calls them, go, show yourself to the priest. Show yourself. It was the priest's job. Not only was he the butcher of the town and also the one that led everybody into spiritual uh, uh, direction, but he's also the medic in the town. He was the one that could declare you clean or unclean, healed or not healed, sick or whole. And so go see him. Go see what happens. And so as they were going, they were healed. So this story today, I think it shows two responses or two actions that we must take when we experience a move of God. And the very first one is one of faith. There's two steps that are taken here. You know, maybe you wonder, why, why do we always call people down to the altar? Why is there a response time built into our Sunday gatherings? Why do you ask us to clap our hands or to raise our hands or to kneel down or to close our eyes or to extend our palms up? Why do we do that? And sometimes, and for some of those reasons, it's because faith precedes blessing. Faith is the thing that precedes God, a move of God. And you can see that right here in verse 14. It says, as they went... They were cleansed from the leprosy. This last week, these altars were filled multiple again and again and again. Just like it's always been in the history of this church. And again and again, I've heard testimony of people being healed, experiencing God. Um, God moving their lives as they were going. As they were coming up. In faith, coming up to the altar and seeking God. We spent extended time here, ranging from like 30 to an hour and a half. 
of time seeking God. And I have no idea how to calculate that, but when did you have see God, experience God moving in your life? Was it as you were walking? Was it in the first moment you got up here? Was it in the hour and 29 minute mark as you were sitting here asking, praying, and worshiping God? All I know is that sometimes a physical move of the body precedes a move of God. And here we see God asking them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. There are some experiences in life that demand a response. To quote Pastor Randy, it's not what we say, it's what we do, because it's who we are. There's sometimes that maybe we come to God with half-hearted prayers or requests. God, would you move in my life? Would you do this thing? But we don't actually think he has the power to do it. God, would you deliver me from this circumstance? God, would you come and do this thing for me? But do we actually have the faith to praise God that he's going to do it? As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. A little while later today, at the end of this sermon, at the end of our time together, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. I'm going to ask you to move forward. I'm going to ask you to, as you were going, to experience God. 17 by 15, Luke 17, 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. Verse 15, I think, captures the whole focus of this morning. The last week of just thinking and just meditating or reflecting on everything that God's been doing this last week and just seeing so many people at the altar and crying, so many people in chairs, hands up, worshiping. What, what do we do from this moment? And the thing that kept coming back to me is that this is a move of God, not a move of man. That we had full teams, we had altar teams, it was great preaching from Pastor Randy and stuff, but yet it was still a move of God, not a move of man. There are situations and things that came out of this last week that I or Pastor Randy or nobody else could orchestrate or fix, only God. You couldn't buy your way out of it, you couldn't will yourself out of it, you couldn't heal your leprosy. It was a move of God. And so what do we do when God moves so powerfully that we experience this tangible presence in our lives? What do we do with that? There's only one appropriate and proper response. And it's a response of praise, a response of gratitude, a response of thanksgiving. Coming back to God and saying, God, there's only you could do this. Only a move of God. A but Jesus moment, a but God moment, a but Holy Spirit moment. Only God could do this. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. Isn't it interesting that it was the Samaritan that came back to Jesus? You know, sometimes people of faith are the last people to respond to God positively. I remember one situation where I had this neighbor and, and uh, it was the first time really meeting him. We'd been there for two months in our apartment. And I had an opportunity to pray for him, a move of God, something that could not happen in man's own time. And I prayed for him. And uh, I was very nervous. And so it was kind of one of those, Lord, heal him. And then I just kind of ran away kind of prayers. Like I didn't wait around to see if it was actually going to happen, like if the Holy Spirit was going to show up or not. I just, here's my faith. And then I ran back inside. 
about a couple of weeks, a week later, that guy came up to me and he said, your prayer worked. And he was just sharing with me all of these ways. He's like, the doctor said this and he said this. And I, I'm not going to share with you all the details. I'm saving the story for another sermon. But he shared all of these things with me. And I was like, man, that is so cool. And then two weeks later, your prayer worked. A month later, your prayer worked. I'm like, man, I forgot that even happened. Like, <laughs> I'm glad. Sometimes people farther from the faith, they experience God in a mighty way for the first time, are more prone to worship God than us Christians. It's so easy to become desensitized to a move of God or become entitled to a move of God that we forget to respond back to God in praise, that it's a miracle but a God moment. As they were going, their leprosy was cleansed. And one came back, the foreigner, the outsider, the one not of the Jewish faith, the one not looking for the Messiah, the one that was cast off from God's chosen people that came back and worshipped him. Jesus says, didn't I heal ten of you? Where's the other nine? Did only the foreigner come back and worship me? Let that not be us. Did you know that ungratefulness is actually a sign of the end times? 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others, have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll be betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure, pleasure rather than God. Verse 5, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. You know, it's easy to become desensitized in your faith. It's easy to say, I, I've prayed this prayer so many times that God never moved. So I'll, I'll show up at church, I'll show up to my prayer time, I'll show up and I'll say the prayer, Lord save, blah, 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 Lord do this, blah, 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 but actually reject the power of God from actually moving. I, I actually don't think that God actually could fix this situation. I actually don't think God could intervene, but I, I'll say the prayer. I'll show up, the pastor's calling me, I'll put my hands up, but I don't actually believe it. If asked, I actually wouldn't go to the priest. I wouldn't take that step of faith. I wouldn't get out of my chair and move because I actually don't believe God could actually intervene in this or will intervene in this. Wasn't there 10 that I healed? Did only the foreigner come back? One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Did the move of God in your life wreck you so much that all you could do is come back and shout praise? You know, every single morning that we gather for worship, I feel eyeballs on my head. And I have to make a conscious choice. Am I worshiping for the people behind me? Am I worshiping for God? You know, my favorite spot in the church is about where you guys are, Quirks. That's where I like to sit in a church service. I was a back row Baptist. That's what I used to be called. I like to be back there. I like the lights off. I like to put my hands up and to be weird and to lay on the ground or whatever. And sometimes I get in my head and saying, I, I don't want to be a show. I don't want to lead people. I, and it gets in my head. Am I worshiping for God or worshiping for other people? But once in a while... When I'm faithful 
and I'm humble and not prideful, I realize all of a sudden I'm not here to worship other people. In the worship, I'm with my family. I'm with my community. And so what if people are looking at me? I don't know if you guys are even are. I'm, I'm going to guess no. I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt. But am I here for them? No. I'm here for God. And so why can't I set my pride aside? I can worship God unfettered. I can clap. I can dance. I can jump with the youth kids or come up by myself. I can, I can put my hands up. I can scream if I want to. I can yell real loud. I can sing and other people can hear me because I'm so thankful and to worship God that all I can do is shout with praise. He was so thankful. He was so appreciative of God that he came back and he shouted, praise God, falling at his feet and thanking God. It's one reason the altar is so powerful, is that you are able to get past the me in front of other people what will people think? What, how will people react? Is it, is it a show? Should I do this? Do I have to do this? And you're able to just come up and to be yourself and have your moment with God. Michelle, you said that so well. It's just between me and you. It's a you and a God moment. And this man came back. He left the nine, not the 99, but the nine. And he came back to Jesus. Fell at his feet, shouting, praising, and thanking him. What a great model of how we're supposed to respond to God. Some experiences demand a response. And when a move of God happens in your life, it demands a response of praise. I wonder if you've ever worked really hard. Does anybody feel like they have the gift of gift giving? Anybody feel like, man, it's okay to be prideful in this moment. You're like... I, like, keep a list. I know I always get the best gifts. I'm not just throwing out gift cards, Sydney. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, good. One, one person in the building. That's great. Anybody else feel like I'm a just, I'm like, I'm a good at gift giving. A couple. Does anybody feel like you're adequate at gift giving? A couple more. How many of you feel like you're just really bad at gift giving? A couple. <laughs> a lot more of you. That's okay. I bet you're better than you think. So, have you ever had this experience, though, where you, 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 you know you're going to see somebody and, and maybe they're a hard person to gift? Does anybody have a hard person to gift for? <laughs> At least this is mutual. Just buy yourselves, you buy your own gifts and you'll be happy. Stop trying so hard. It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> buy what you want. I'll wrap it for you and give it to you. That's good. So you're thinking about that person, that person that's really hard to buy for, maybe a parent or maybe an uncle or a kid or whatever, and they're like, they're so particular, they have all the money, they can just buy what they want anyways, what do you buy for somebody like that? You're thinking really hard, and you think you finally have got it. Like, ah, I got the idea, like, that's, that's it, I'm going to make it, it's custom, or I'm going to make it, or paint it, or whatever, and you get this gift, and you give it to them, and you have all that anticipation, you've had it for a month, and they unwrap it, and they go, oh, Thanks. Did you put a receipt in there? Like, have you ever had that moment where you worked so hard to gift something for somebody and their response was less than flattering? Eh. Or have you ever had that moment as a parent where you, you take your kids out for a special treat and they're like, I don't want chicken nuggets. And you're like, kid, 
this is a special treat. You're going to enjoy those chicken nuggets, and you're not going to cry about it. You're going to be thankful that I even got you the sweet and sour sauce. Maybe you've had moments like that. That feeling of working so hard. I, I, once my, my grandma was stereotypically incredibly hard to buy for. My mom, one year, I just remember her as a child. I remember her working really hard. And as a family, we had talked about, oh, you know what? Grandma likes knickknacks. And so we're going to get her. We, she likes owls. We found this really cool owl knickknack statue kind of thing. And I remember my grandma just kind of going, eh, thanks. And I remember on the way home, my mom crying. Because of all the effort, all the emotion, all the pain, all the, all the toil she put into that gift. And it wasn't well received. No shame on my grandma. She's fine. She's whatever. How do you think God feels, though? Jesus, master, rabbi, move in my life. And God responds and we go, eh. Wasn't there ten I healed? Did only this foreigner come back and praise and only this one man that's not even of the faith, not even looking for me, not even desiring me, is this the one of the ten that came back and gave me praise? A move of God demands a response of praise. We're going to give a time later today to respond to God in praise. And this is the last part of this that I, I want to emphasize to our church today. Is maybe sometimes it's easy to think that a move of God was just for you. In Mark chapter 5, I'm going to summarize the story for us. But basically Jesus is sailing and he's traveling around the regions of uh, uh, Jerusalem. He's traveling around the, uh, those regions and he's, he finally gets to this one place and he encounters a man possessed by demons. So many demons that they just respond when he asks them, what's your name, with one name, which is Legion. Thousands of demons in me. So many that we are a legion, like an army inside this man. So this man had been tried to been helped by the local people. He'd been tried to be restrained. They'd held him down, put chains on him so he wouldn't have angry, violent outbursts. But as the demonic grew in him, so did his physical strength. So strong that no shackle could hold him. Verse 7, it talks about with a shriek he screamed. Oh, sorry. From a long way off, Jesus, uh, the man saw him, ran to him, and bowed low before him. This man would spend his time day and night wandering around the cemeteries cutting himself, howling, attacking people. This is straight up a Halloween story in Mark chapter 5. Of a demonic possessed man cutting himself, howling, attacking people in a cemetery. And so the people had done all they could to try to restrain him, to keep them away, keep themselves safe. But with one word and one, with one nod, Jesus comes and he sets this man free. And we're going to take this story up in verse chapter 8. So... Mark 5, verse 8. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. 
Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake, drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon be gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by legions of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away, leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you, how merciful he's been for you. So the man started off to the ten towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Here's a man that men had tried to help, but they could not. Restraining him, they could not be contained. But Jesus, remember a few weeks ago when we preached and we talked about a but God moment? Jesus has those two. But Jesus, with just a nod and one word, he looses him and frees him. Isn't it interesting that the response to this miracle was fear in the people surrounding them? The response to a miracle, a move of God, was actually to say, God, get away from us. Get back in your boat. Go to another town. Please leave us alone. Because the people would rather have pigs instead of a free man. Jesus, we don't need you around. God, go. And so in a town where people distance themselves from the Savior, the very Son of God, what does Jesus do? He sends the free man back to them to tell them his story. God sends a man that's had a personal encounter, a move of God, to a people that have nothing, they want nothing to do with the presence of God. It's easy as a Christian to undervalue the move of God in your life. <laughs> I don't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember, but Eric Montgomery came up to me one night and he was sharing what had happened during, he had a God moment, a move of God, and he was sobbing, he was crying. I could barely understand what he was saying. And what I could take away from it was, I prayed for this woman and said, God loved you. And it was kind of like I was waiting for the rest of it. Like, and he's like, that was it! I'm like, that's awesome! I don't know, you prayed for her and you said God loves you. I didn't understand it. I still don't quite know. And the tears and the snot might have been getting in the way of understanding. But for Eric, it was a clear move of God in his life, and he wanted to share it with me. And I'm so thankful and praise God for it. I don't quite understand what happened. I don't quite understand the prayer, but I know that something happened in Eric's life, that he felt the tangible presence of God. And to me on the outside, I could say, so you prayed for her, and you said God loves you, and then what else happened? Was she healed? Was she, what's that, what happened? And I'm waiting for the what happened moment. 
And I don't know. But for him, he knew that God's presence invaded that moment. And so maybe you're thinking, man, I've had God moments. I've had God answer me. God, give me a great parking spot at Jewel today. Woo, front row. It's not even handicapped. Yes. I'm not going to share that with somebody. Like, that's just for me. Was that a move of God? God, help me to not be sick as I travel to my in-laws this weekend. It's a couple hours away. I just don't want to be sick. Oh, thank you, God. Well, you don't ever tell that to somebody. Sometimes it's easy to minimize and make things small. But your story is not just about you. It's not just for you. Your story is to share and to glorify God. And God can be glorified through that. I remember one time um, I had this Park Avenue Buick. It's, I still stand and believe that it is the best car ever made. When I traded it away to an old boss, I traded it with 276,000 miles. Last that I could record the odometer going because it stopped recording at some point. And then he had it another four or five years, I believe, before he drove it to the dump. And he actually texted me and said, do you want it back? I said, no. <laughs> but he drove it there to the dump. And I remember one time as I was driving, had no money in the bank account. This was the only kind of transportation I had to get to work. I remember the, the check engine light coming on. And all I could do was put my hand on the dashboard and say, Lord, heal this car. I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where you're praying, but Lord, heal this car. And the, da and the check engine light went off. I remember going home that Christmas and connecting with my old boss. And a uh, stout man believes God but does not believe in a move of God. And I was just talking to him. And I was like, man, this is what happened. I told him how I prayed about it. And he, I could tell that, as I said, and I prayed for my car. And he started laughing. And then I said, and then the light went off. And he goes, and he stopped kind of choking a little bit. And he's like, I don't know how to process this information you just told me. Like, I don't know what to do with this. When you share your story, it becomes real and it becomes genuine and it becomes irrefutable. When God moves in your life, whether big or small in our eyes, it's a move of God. And it demands a response. It also demands to be shared. Because you never know what your story will do in the life of other people. Dan, you can start making your way forward. Your faith story may be the catalyst to building somebody else's faith. Your faith story may give someone else the courage to take a step of faith of their own. Your faith story is definitely a response of praise to God. When you share your story, you can share it with somebody that doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in a move of God. But you can say, all I know is that my car had a check engine light on it. And I prayed for it, and then the check engine light was gone. For me, that is a move of God. You can chalk it up to whatever you want, but this is what happened to me. And I felt God move in my life. We're going to go into a time of response tonight. And I literally want to create a, a wall of praise today. The thing that I kept getting over and over again this last week just in my mind and heart is that there's only one way to respond to revive this weekend. It's with praise. We have to take time and set apart with baptism and with response to praising God for what he did in this last week in our church. 
Some of you are thinking, uh, well, I didn't actually make it last Sunday. I didn't make it to revive last week. I come out of a faith tradition that was a two-hour-long service every Sunday, and 45 minutes of that service was testimonies every single week. And the best part was there's a church of 30 people, and six of them was my family. So you're telling me that God moved every single week in a group of 30 people with enough time to fill 45, I'm not kidding, 45 minutes worth of testimonies every single week. Yes. And so you're in this with us today, even if you were not able to attend or be a part of Revive Service. Even if you did not necessarily get your God moment this last week, I'm going to lead you in how to come to the altar anyways. Church, this last week I saw husbands and wives find unity and reconciliation. I saw dads holding their daughters just weeping. I saw men and women standing in faith for healings, for relief from mental afflictions, holding their children, holding their families, holding their bills, holding their communities here in faith before God. I asked everybody to respond online this last week, and I just want to share two, two, uh, two paraphrase quotes from people that texted me or emailed me this last week. One woman said that she's been trying to get her husband to church, and he suggested coming to church one of the days. He didn't even know that we had a guest speaker and anything extraordinary gone. Of his own volition, he said, let's go to church. And through that physical healing, came out of that experience. She says, I don't need to see the oncologist unless I have problems until next April, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I saw that woman calling out the names of family members here at the altar, and she says, my heart is full. God is always there for some reason to answer my prayers. I never expected to see any answers in my lifetime, but I've just always trusted that he would answer it in his time. God is so gracious, he keeps me in awe. God knows. That's why I always cry in church. God knows. God loves. I am nothing, nobody, yet he loves me. What an awesome thing, my true father. One other person sent me this. They said, and this one was all capitalized, the whole thing. I am more and more certain that COTR is a chain-breaking church. The church I'm honored to call my home church. The church that I have seen over and over again. The hand of God moving. The church really is a blessing to my family. And Revive was one of the best decisions we made to attend. Philippians 4.6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for, what, for all that he has done. And church, we're going to end our time together telling God what we need and thanking him for all that he's done. Under your seat, there's two pieces of paper and a pen. And altar team members, you can start coming forward. You can start just kind of filling the front right now. And if you don't have tape, there's some right here in my seat. But church, the band's going to lead us and they're going to play through. But a move of God is an experience that demands a response of praise. I was trying to think, how do you do that with a couple hundred people? This is the thing that I felt we're going to come up with today. On the yellow paper, 
Maybe you're still holding a few requests from God today. People that you're praying for, situations in your life, things, healing or faith or whatever. You're asking God for something you've not seen the move of God yet. I'm going to ask you in faith to write those down. Feel free to hide the names or specific situations, but you could just put it as easy as I'm praying for a family member to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Whatever it is. And on the yellow paper, we're going to come to God with our things we still need. Tell the Lord what you need. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he has done. On the green piece of paper, I'd like you to begin thinking, what responsive praise do you have to the Lord today? How did you experience God this last week at Revive? How did you experience God in your car driving to work? How did you experience God in your personal time of worship or at your small group or at the grocery store or whatever the case? Where did you see God show up in your life this week? Maybe this one's hard for you. I would encourage you to think this way. What, can I, what am I thankful for today to God? And you can begin filling this one out. The band's going to lead us, but church, I'd ask you to come forward when you have that done and come to an altar team member. They'll have tape, and would you just start taping your, your needs to the altar? Would you start putting and listing your praises, your gratitude to God on the altar? Could this become a physical, literal place, an altar of praise today, this morning? A move of God demands a response of gratitude. Amen.